If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect, and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect, and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Wendy Murdoch. Now, Wendy's been with us a couple of times and she's coming back today to talk about 10 things to remember about jumping position. How are you, Wendy? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Oh, look, good to talk to you, Wendy. And this topic that we're going to go through, you know, you've got a lot of experience here to talk about the jumping position, but can we just talk first of all about what the correct jumping position is, you know, because when you talk to people about jumping position, there's a lot of explanations that you sort of think, I don't know if that's quite right. I don't know if you've quite got it all, but can you explain to us what correct jumping position is? Sure. So I have to just start by saying that I grew up in the 70s. That kind Mm -hmm. of dates me. Um, But I lived in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and in that area were all the really top Americans because um, they all trained with Bert Dynamothy, who was a Hungarian cavalryman who came over after World War II, and he was the coach for our jumping team for 25 years. And during that time, we were almost unbeatable. I mean, Mm -hmm. the American team was amazing. So I grew up in that environment. And while I wasn't one of the privileged kids that could afford the really nice horse to go on the circuit, I certainly watched these people when they came into my neighborhood. And um, one of the biggest shows, Oxford Home Club Horse Show, in June every year was in my backyard. And it was like a week and so I've got to watch some of the best of the best, mm-hmm. quite literally. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And my teacher at the time was a very grounded person, and she was very much about fundamentals. And it wasn't until much later that I realized um, how much she had taught me and how important the elements that she taught me were. So when we talk about jumping position, what we're talking about is unifying our body with the horse's body when he's going over a jump. Yep. So he has to push off the ground, and we have to be in a position where we do not interfere with him and do not uh, become what's called an external force. Now, what do I mean by that? If you're in an airplane, you and the plane are traveling at 600 miles an hour, but you're not moving. From the ground, we look at the plane, and it's moving. So when you're going over a jump, your body and the horse's body need to be unified in such a way that you're not becoming any kind of an external force on that system, Mm -hmm. that your body, your weight is married to the horse's body in a way that it's going as one unit in terms of physics. And any time there's an external force, in other words, a rider that falls back or a rider that falls forward or a rider that's bracing, that's making the horse's job a whole lot harder and it's going to throw the horse off or at least make it harder, if not cause problems. So when we talk about jumping position, we're talking about a position where the rider's body is unified with the horse's body and they go simultaneously over the jump. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, definitely. Yep, 
and I'm just visualising it now, you know, because a good rider does. They're just there following the horse over the fence. Yeah. And there are the exceptions. There are the riders, and I can remember them very clearly when I used to go to the garden in New York City. Um, there were riders that had unorthodox styles, and they were successful. But that's not something that's teachable. That's yes. something that that person has come up with, and it's unique to them. And if you try to copy that style, most likely you're going to get in trouble because it's a unique style, but not one that is reproducible. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for a jumping position that adheres to the laws of physics and gravity, mm-hmm. and that's reproducible so that it's teachable and not just something that some gifted person comes up with, but that can't be applied to, you know, the masses, if you will, yes. to the everyday person. Yes, yes. Yeah. So just kind of a simple way, you know, like I know I always do these like illustrations over the phone, but, you know, if you put one hand on top of the other and the bottom hand moves, the top hand goes with it and the two hands are unified. Mm-hmm. But if the top hand is bouncing on the bottom hand or in some way hitting it off center, not married to it, then it's that's what happens to the horse when the rider's not unified Yep. with them yep yep and i think that's a good visualization too yeah yeah all right now the weight in the stirrups has got to be a certain amount of weight in the stirrups how much weight should be in the stirrups so this is where i see that so many people right from the beginning of their jumping career are steered in a direction that makes things a lot harder than i think they need to be mm-hmm. and what do i mean yep. by that when you go into jumping position, you're in a, first of all, the saddle is different. It has a forward stirrup bar because you're going to shorten your stirrups. And the intention is that you're going to fold forward at your hips so that you have closed angles. My example of this is anybody who's ever seen somebody uh, do a half pipe or a skateboard or the BMX bikes or, you know, some of the, the tube stuff that they do in the Olympics, all those people close their angles and have, you know, a fold at their hip, knee, and ankle. Mm-hmm. And that becomes their shock absorbers. Yep. So the first thing that, that needs to happen according to the height of the fence is that you shorten your stirrups. And when I say according to the height of the fence, you're you're not going to shorten up five holes to do a cross rail. So. Um, as you increase the height of the jump, you would be shortening your stirrup. But the weight in the stirrup, and this is where I see it go wrong almost from the beginning is that when people are taught jumping position they're taught standing still to get out of the saddle mm-hmm. and the minute you get out of the saddle standing still you've had to push against the stirrups to brace against the stirrups or in some way put a lot of force against the stirrups which is not what's supposed to happen when you're in a good position so the problem with this is anytime you're pushing or bracing on the stirrups or standing and so all your weight is in the stirrups you have to, have to go back to physics and Newton's third law. And I know everybody's cringing. Here we go again. But Newton's third law is really simple. It says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. What that means is that the harder you push on the stirrups, the harder they push back against you. So you have a force of your leg, the muscles in your leg, pushing down against the stirrups, including the weight of your body, right? So that's yep. a force is weight times acceleration. And then you have the stirrup pushing back on you. And the problem isn't necessarily that, but that's where a lot of people's joints get sore. But the problem really is much more, most people don't recognize, is that the force is going to travel up from the stirrup, through the stirrup leather, to the point of attachment of the stirrup. And that happens to be the stirrup bar. 
Mm-hmm. And the stirrup bar on a jumping saddle is placed more forward than on a dressage saddle, but doesn't, so we'll put more weight to the front of the saddle, but bottom line, we're putting a lot of pressure on a very small surface area. Yep. And when we put a lot of pressure on a small surface area, our pounds per square inch goes up, which means that we're putting all this pressure on the stirrup bar right behind the horse's shoulder blade, pushing the horse's back down when we want him to lift his back to jump. Mm-hmm. So this is where, right from the beginning, if someone is taught to get out of the saddle to demonstrate their jumping position while the horse is standing still or walking, they are applying a great amount of force against the stirrup and therefore on the stirrup bar and pushing the horses back down. And once that pattern gets started, it doesn't change because that's the pattern they practice. And so one of the first things I do when I'm doing a jumping clinic is I have people show me their jumping position. And and I don't know that I've ever seen anybody who hasn't tried to climb out of the saddle to do it. If they haven't, it's a very small, less than 1%. And everybody gets up out of the saddle when the horse is standing still and therefore braces against the stirrups, stiffen. And I pull over with, you know, one hand because of that brace. So the weight mm-hmm. that should be in the stirrups is the weight of the leg, not pressure. But the weight also has to be distributed in some other areas. And we're going to yep. talk about that. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. So where does the weight go? Where do I put my weight then in the jumping position? So if we think about how our shape marries with the horse's shape. Mm-hmm. We're basically an, an upside-down V on a round, basically roundish object. Yep. And yes, they have a withers, and the saddle has to you know, clear the withers, and the seat of the saddle fits the shape of our pelvis. But as our legs come down, it's just upside-down V. So when we go into a jumping position, the flat of the thigh, in other words, the, the inside of the femur, which actually has a concave shape on the inside of the femur, the flat yep. of the thigh, yep. rests against the saddle. And the majority of our weight should be distributed over the thigh. And obviously, there's some weight in the stirrup, but no pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we have the weight on the thigh, we can have functional joints. And so the ankle, instead of being braced and pushing against the stirrup, can be functional. And that's okay. one of the primary shock absorbers, the ankle. So we really need those three joints, hip, knee, and ankle, to be flexible to allow the horse's rib cage to move upward as he rises over the jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. So what's the best way of getting into jumping position then? So, the, you know, I mean, it's, in the end, it's actually a, a very simple thing. And I, the reason it gets complicated is, um, because we have so many different vertebrae and, and we're not sure what to do with our torso. Okay. But in the simplistic form, it, you know, in a, it's just starting out. If you're sitting in the saddle and you're in a jump saddle and you've shortened your stirrups a couple of holes, you simply fold forward at the hips and mm-hmm. that's it. That's okay. the position. And if you look at any, I go back to those, those guys on snowboards and skateboards when they're doing tricks you'll see these very clear angles of the line of the torso to the hip, the line of the side to the knee, the line of the knee to the ankle, and the line of the foot. And you can just think of it like stick figure. Yep. And so when the horse is standing still or in walk, you literally just fold forward at the hip, and your britches are still going to be in the saddle because there's no suspension to keep you buoyed up out of the saddle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It should be the movement of the horse that gets you out that okay. in spot yep. and yep. yep. that buoys you up. But that means the horse is up in the withers, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. here we are now kind of 
looking at some of the fundamental issues in the way we're riding our horses and our equipment, I hate to say, but these factors are going to influence whether or not the horse can lift his withers and therefore buoy us up. Mm-hmm. And so often now the horses are hollow and you see people literally posting the canner yep. because the horses aren't round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're not just moving with the horse, you know, thinking about the two hands you said before and you're trying to jump in front of the horse and throw yourself over and everything, it's going to make the horse a bit worried and teach them to rush their jumps or stop the jumps or It'd have to interfere with the horse's confidence, wouldn't it, if you're not in the correct position? I would think so. Mm, mm. I mean, they, they they obviously get used to it, and because if it's consistent, they're going to get used to it. But, you know, I mean, I go back to my mentor and probably one of the, the most elegant writers, and uh, there's two. It's Bert Dynamothy and his book, The Dynamothy Method, and Bill Steinkraus, William Steinkraus, And his book is so, I mean, his book is written as clearly and crisply as his writing in very succinct language, Mm -hmm. very accurate. And he talked about how the cloth of your britch should touch the saddle Mm -hmm. when you're in jumping position. And so many people try to get so far out of the saddle, but when the, when it's correct, you're actually really, really close because if you're, if you're far away and anything happens and you shift your weight, the horse is going to have to react to your weight shift before yep. he can actually respond to what you're asking him to do. Sure, sure. Wendy, tell us about changing diagonals in the air. So when I teach jumping, especially yep. with people that have been jumping, I try to avoid anything that will trigger a habitual pattern of position, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if I ask somebody to go into jumping position and jumping position two point forward seat, it's in my opinion, those are those are just all the same thing. Yep. If I ask people to do that, they're going to show me their habit, their the, what they've been trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so to get across to them how to distribute the weight and how to make this clear and simple without triggering those patterns, what I have my riders do is change their rising diagonal in the air. Mm-hmm. And yep. they've had their stirrup shorter. They're in a slight forward angle, um, not very much, doesn't have to be a lot. And they're rising the trot, and then they change the diagonal in the air. And I start with, you know, once every five strides, and then once every four strides, and then every three strides. And by the time they get to every two strides, if they're able to do every two strides, it basically the exercise requires that they find their weight resting on their thigh in the change so that when they're Staying out of the saddle, and it's not very far, but when they're staying out of the saddle to change that diagonal every two strides, they've got to do what I call catch the weight on the thigh. So it's not like you want to be gripping and squeezing or pinching with your knees, but the length of your thigh bone on the saddle is going to let you rest the weight there to catch yourself to stay out of the saddle. And so I just decrease the number of strides in between, and pretty soon they're in a jumping position, but they never knew that we were going there because they were busy counting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a good exercise. Yeah, very good. Yeah, because the exercise demands it. And, yep, and yep, if yep. they can't do it, they fall back or fall forward. It's because they've pushed on the stirrup and the stirrup swings and they lose their balance. Yeah. So once I've you know shown them just the basic fold at the hip with the back flat, um, just like I'm looking in a, in a full seat position, then by putting them into that exercise, it's a, it's a great thing that they can do on their own and just figure out 
that they have to rest the weight on the saddle, but not grip and not brace on the stirrup. Mm-hmm. And the horses love it because the constant change in a rhythm allows the horse to get into a, a good steady trot. But if that trot doesn't mean maintain itself, you know you've made a mistake. So there's a lot of self-correcting in that lesson that makes it really kind of clean and simple. Okay. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And I think good exercise as well, you know, just counting the steps and getting the correct jumping position, folding of the hips flat back. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. What about crest release? What's the pros and cons of the crest release? You know, talk to us about what the crest release is, but also the pros and cons about it. So back in the 80s is when the crest release was born. And when I was a kid, there wasn't any such thing. Mm -hmm. And so you were, you know, taught a basic jumping position, and then you were put through grids and lots of poles and things. Your reins were taken away, and you had to, you know, put your hands on top of your head or whatever on your shoulders. You weren't allowed to touch the reins, and you went through these grids to find your balance. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere in in the late 70s, the idea of the crest release appeared, where there's a long and a short one, and the short one is closer to you, and the long one is further up the neck. And the downside is that when you put your hands on the neck like that, you wind up leaning on your hands. Mm -hmm. And once that habit is started, I see professionals that are still using press release. Mm. They never progressed to what's called a following hand or an automatic release, which is a very sophisticated way to ride, but a very... It's excellent because what that means is that you maintain your straight line elbow to bit. Your hands are on the line from elbow to bit. And so they're following down alongside the horse's neck and following the mouth. In other words, your seat, your base of support is so secure that you do not have to rest your hands on the horse's neck for security. And so it means that you can turn your horse over a jump, (laughs) right? Yes. And and if you're stuck in a press release, the horse has to land before you can move your hand because you yeah. don't have, you may or may not have the balance required to turn your horse in the air. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this is something, and I love what Bill Steinkraus said in his book. He said, you will never see a picture of a crest release in my book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Um, good. Yeah. And so, we again, it goes back to habits. And if that's what you're taught and you practice that even for a couple of years, Mm. it's extremely difficult to move off of that because jumping is one of those things that what the pattern that's set early on, and I say this all the time, is I can go in and I can change somebody all the way up to the moment of the jump. I can get them going over poles and over cross rails. And the minute I create something that looks like a jump, the moment of the jump 
the old pattern is mm. so likely to show up because yep. it's such a short moment in time. It's less, what, a second? Mm. And yeah, yeah. so the nervous system has habituated and you see the jump and it triggers the response that you have trained. So it's so, so important that we teach kids, teach children, a really solid base of support and a really correct seat early on because it's so difficult to change them later mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in jumping. And that's the, like I said, I can get them all the way in a clinic through the poles, through the cross rails. But the minute I start to make a jump, the new pattern is not strong enough to override the habit that is so fast. Okay. And so to rework your jumping position takes time because you've got to practice maintaining on low, you know, poles and low elements till it becomes that pattern that you go to and then you can move up. Mm-hmm. But I so often see people like, oh, I want to jump a bigger jump now. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. I know it's going to happen. They're going <laughs> to go back to the habit. Yes. But, yes. The, but the other thing is that the benefits of reworking it, the benefits to the horse and the benefits to the rider are so great that it's uh-huh. worth the effort. Okay. Okay. And we're talking about the benefits of the following hand or the you talked about the pros and cons of crest release. The seat that can allow you mm. to have a following hand mm-hmm. is what I'm talking yes. about. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. So you, you've sort of gone back to your basics there, haven't you? You know, is going back to the Absolutely. seat. Absolutely. And then then talking about the hands. Okay. So is there anything else you'd like to say about the following hands or can I ask you a question about stirrups and jumping? And you talked about the forward set stirrup bar, but what about this hinge stirrups and jumping? Are they good or bad? Oh, okay. So you've brought up a really good question. Mm-hmm. And so the hingey stirrups, not only are they more expensive, but the fact that they hinge means that when you put your weight onto the stirrup and they hinge, your heel drives forward, so your base of support has just moved forward. Mm-hmm. And as your base of support moves forward, and then it throws you forward. But again, and this is where I keep going back to the health of the horse's back, inadvertently we did a little study, and we had a rider on a saddle, and it was not her saddle, and it had hingy stirrups, and she got on, and we had a pressure pad underneath the saddle. And she said, you know, I really don't like these hingy stirrups. And when they were looking on the computer screen, they could see these red marks around the stirrup bars. And when she changed to rigid stirrups, those red marks went away. Those oh, wow. hot spots wow. on the pressure. Yeah. Mm, mm, that's interesting. Because we're, you know, again, it's, it's, you're putting a force down into the stirrup and the stirrup hinges so your knee gets to straighten. So you don't feel the pressure into your knee, mm-hmm. but the horse feels it on his back. Yeah. Yeah. And besides which, if your heel is driving down and your knee is straightening, it's not staying bent. You're going into what's called extension when you straighten the leg. Mm. And that's not efficient for jumping because you need to keep the bend in the knee to keep the flat of the thigh so the joints work in a springy manner to let the horses back come up. So here we are back and pushing the horses back down when we want his back to come up. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, you I'm just... not a fan. <laughs> okay. No, I'm okay. not a fan. You just talked about your concern for the health of the horse's back. So what can we do about it? What exercises can we do off the horse, you know, practicing exercises off the horse? So, um, you know, some really simple things to practice off the horse, and you're going to laugh at me, um, you can call it lavatorial squat. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> I knew you'd laugh. Well, straight away um, I got so, the visualization. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, because you're, you know, 
Now, if you're sitting in a chair and it's a little bit low and you've got your, your so your feet are flat on the floor and your knees are bent, you scoot forward to your, your knees a little bit forward, and then you fold at the hip and come up and fold at the hip and come up. And you can feel the difference between if you round at the waist or hollow. And so you're, you, what you want to feel is what happens to your weight if you hollow your back and what happens to your weight when you round your back. And just a simple little thing would be to put your hands on like a, a low counter or a desktop and just fold forward, like put the pinky side of the hand like small fists, like you're holding reins. And then just feel what happens when you round your back or hollow your back or take what you think is your jumping position. Some people turn their knees out. And just feel what happens to your mobility and your and the ability to cleanly fold at the hip. If you hollow and you fold it forward, when you go to come up, like on the landing phase of the jump, you have to heave your chest back, but you have to throw it back really, really far before the hip joint actually starts to open. So you don't have a direct relationship between the angle of the torso and the openness of the hip. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if you round the back, the hip joint's too open, and again, you don't have this direct relationship of where your, your head is relative to what your hip is doing. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. I'm practicing it as we're doing it. As you're oh, talking good. about it, yeah. yes, so, yes. So hopefully, no, hopefully a few of the listeners, you know, it's a bit hard if you're driving maybe, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, good. if you're driving the car, you just move the seat back a little bit and kind of scoot forward, and then you can use your steering wheel. It's totally fine. Okay. Um, you're still looking down the road. You want to look up, right? <laughs> so you want to look down the road. But you can feel if you if you close at the hip and then you sit up, right, the way most people do by throwing their chest back and their head back, the hip angle hasn't changed until you get way back and then finally the hip angle changes it opens mm-hmm. okay and if you round your back your head comes forward and your chest drops and to close your hip you have to throw your upper body way forward before finally the hip closes mm-hmm. and that means we don't have a direct relationship between where your head is either forward or upright or back in relation to your hip angle and what we want is a direct relationship that when your back is flat and you fold at your hip, your head is forward, your hip is closed, your head comes to middle, your hip is open to middle, you lean back, your hip is opened more, yeah. right? So yeah. that your torso is acting as a single unit, not as a segmented uh, spine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is where, you know, if we go back to the crest release, a lot of people, when they do the crest release, they sit up and they hollow their back and stick their butt out yes. and throw their chest like forward, and now the hip is closed, but when they land, they can't come up. So they drive the horse into the ground. Mm-hmm. And that we see in, in America, we see it in the hunter world. Yes. In the eventing world, in, in the, uh, the you know, cross country over here, what we see is the opposite, where everybody's rounded and they're way behind with their upper body, but they're rounded and their chest is dropped. And especially on your drop fences, they're bracing against the stirrups. So when the horse hits the drop, hits the ground, all that force is just jammed right onto mm. the stirrup bars. And mm. you wonder why he doesn't come up in his back. Yep. So yep. they've gone the other way and they have abs of steel, but the hip is too open and we don't get the shock absorbers of the hip, knee, and ankle. That's our shock absorbing system, the hip, knee, and ankle. And it, here's a really simple one. And I used to do this all the time at clinics, but I've gotten a little older, so I don't do it so much. <laughs> but if you, <laughs> I know, if you stand on a low stool or a mounting block, and you jump off, do you jump off bracing your heels against the ground 
or do you jump off and land on your feet and let your knees and ankles and hips close a little bit on landing to absorb yeah. the concussion? Yes, yes. You know, and we used to we used to jump off things with our heels raised down. The shock waves that are sent up the body are just like mm. I, I can't. I don't, my back mm. doesn't want me to do that anymore. <laughs> but those kind of shock waves we're sending through our horse when we brace our joints. Yep. The hip, knee, and ankle. They are our shock absorbers. That's their job. Mm-hmm. And when we take that job away, that shock's going to go somewhere else. And a lot of times it's into the back. And the back, human back is not, horse's back either, it's not designed to absorb that kind of concussive force. Okay. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Wendy, you know, just going back, and, and I'm sure that someone wants to go back and listen to this again and again, but how do you know when they're in the sweet spot? What can you say about, yes, now you've got it? So, really, the the best test of the sweet spot is is using grids, and this mm-hmm. is again, um, you know, you got to once you kind of establish a good basic position on the flat, then just setting up poles and then your cross rails and then your trot poles into a into a bounce or into a you know a one stride or just a series of ever increasing jumps from a, you know, just a little vertical to a small oxer or, you know, a combination and then, and tying up your reins and going through without hands. And that's really the test. Like, can you let the horse, and it's a great training for the horse because he learns to be independent and and that you're not going to interfere and you just go through the grid starting low and not every day, you can't pound your horse every day, but, you know, a couple times a week or even even once a week to have a have a grid lesson where you go through without hands and you have to be able to follow the horse's movement. And if you're bracing, you're going to fall back or forward or sideways. And if you're with the horse, then you'll be able to go through the grids. And then by not using your hands, you've found your balance. And then when you do take the reins again, you can learn the following hand. Okay. Quite easily. Yep. Yep. You know, it takes some, some practice. Oh, and, you know, this is the thing. But, you know, you look at anybody who's on a skateboard or anybody who's on a BMX mic or a snowboard, they practice. Of course. They practice a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not about practicing the big jumps. And this is the thing is you don't want to wear your horse out. You can do so much just on low grids and poles and cross rails and raised poles to find your balance so that when it counts, you're in a good spot. Yes, yes. And I think that's it, you know, the practice, but you've still got to have the instruction. Well, like even just the the information that you've given us today, you know, go back and go back over. Don't just go off blind and say practice. Isn't it, you know, perfect practice? So it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. You've got to keep practicing the correct things to get it better. You can't just go out and practice and, and be a bit oblivious to what's correct and what's not correct. Right. And mm. But there is the element of feeling the mistakes you've made and not, you know, the flip side of that is everybody beats themselves up and they're not perfect. And mm. there's that, that bit of experimentation, that child mind, if you will, you know, yep. you, that like, okay, and that's why you keep it low. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, till you start to feel where that balance point is, you might push on your stirrups and fall back a little bit. Okay, so what did I do there? And sort of that self-evaluation of looking at what, what happened. And this is where, you know, a video camera could be a super handy thing. You just set it up on a tripod and you just let it record and then go back and look and see what happened. And, you know, did your feet slip forward? Did your head fall forward? Did you throw your chest back? Did you round at the waist? And And just look at what's going on with an objective eye, not a 
critical eye, not a this is me eye, but this is someone else eye, right? And so we're so much nicer when we think of it as somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because not everybody got somebody to watch them all the time either, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. But we all have have iPhones now and we can all record. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think, Wendy, this has been um, very good, very good talking to you. Lots of information. Now, if people would like to contact you, what's the best way? Um, so through my website at murdochmethod.com, mm-hmm. I've got my 40 Jumping Sixes book. Actually, it's got lots of great exercises in it. It's probably in bookstores in Australia, I would think, that it's available there. Yep. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Murdoch Method mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, yep. My friends are filling up, so, so it's better to like my page because I'm running out of that you're limited to 5,000 friends and I'm almost there. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, yep. Better to like my business. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you think that you'd think you have more friends than that, but I suppose that's the idea of getting you back over to the page, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put up the Murdoch Minute every every Monday. And that's on the Murdoch Method page, or how do they get that? If they sign up on the, for the newsletter, okay. they can sign yep. up for my mailing list yep. on my website, Yep. and they'll get a little email and um, – and also on Facebook, we put up stuff. So mm-hmm. both places are really great. Great. Um, I'm hoping to be coming to us. Well, I am coming to Australia, oh, good. actually. Good. Do you know when? In October, I'm going to Equidays in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And then I was just chatting with somebody before we got on. Um, I've got to get my date sorted out for coming to Australia. I'm a little behind on my scheduling because I'm still working on my European trip in September. Yep. So um, I'll be posting that soon up yes. on Facebook. Uh, and also on my calendar on murdochmethod.com. Okay, and let us know. We'll put that at the bottom of the page. I think we're up to um, three, four. I can't remember Wendy, but I think just go to horsechats.com and search for Wendy and you'll find Wendy Murdoch and um, it'll be on the 10 things to remember about jumping position, but we might put those details on the other chats as well. And we'll probably catch up with you before then as well, Wendy. It'd be really good if we could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we can um, have some definite dates and be able to tell people where you're coming and it's not just the dates it's also where you're coming because it's um yeah you sort of think it's just little old australia but we're the same size as the united states just not not the big population that you guys have got right no but you know i lived there for a year so way back of course yes Um, yeah yeah Oh, that'd be good. I'm looking forward to coming back. Yeah, looking forward to chatting to you again as well and finding out a bit more information about when you're coming back. So thanks for your time and um, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 